James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. James and I are now recording these with video, which we maybe will release <laughs> if we're comfortable <laughs> with how we look in the video. So it's a little um disconcerting, honestly. But I don't know, Duncan, how often you are on these videos. Do you actually spend time looking at yourself? You're like, mm, it's like in video conferences, I always turn off because it's annoying. Um, but I'm actually leaving it on now because I, I want to see if my face is going to be doing like bad expressions <laughs> or something. Yeah, but normally it's off, although maybe I will turn it off. Um, and we'll see what's what. Um, all right, so welcome to Cloud Streaks, which is a podcast where James and I talk about a topic. And today's topic is, is the US on track to break? Heavy. And so you're going to learn, like, I hope it's clear that we're pretty much amateurs in every single topic we talk about. <laughs> so we're not like historians or geopolitical professors or something. Um, but I thought I'd try to give a quick background from my perspective on what's happened. So in some respects, the government is the operating system. And then like all your families, like a little application or, or a company's an application. Some companies are big applications, like 100,000 people. Some are like small, they've got two people or something, right? Um, so there's the generations of the operating system. This is a massive oversimplification. There was hunter-gatherer times. And in hunter-gatherer times, there was like the law of the tribe. So for instance, if you were being attacked, you had to stand and defend as a male and the women and children ran away. And if you didn't stand and defend, then often the tribe would kill you because they're as good as dead if you weren't going to fight. So you're only as strong as the number of people you had to fight. So there were kind of rules, but they weren't codified too much. What's happened, as James points out often over time, is the more people that can collect together and work together as a big whole, the stronger you are as a society. And so then the next way to work together was religion. There was the Ten Commandments or there's the Quran or there's whatever else it is. And so people were able to, in hunter-gatherer times, have tribes of 150. But when you had the heaven and the hell and the Ten Commandments and now shall not do this, et cetera, you had a set of rules. And you were able to collect together in much bigger numbers. And so then effectively religion came and took over all of humanity because and there were a few competing religions. Um, and this meant that humans did actually kill each other less. So, so there was more intertribal warfare or people dying <laughs> as a percentage of the total population in hunter-gatherer times. They called them savages because they were savage people and civilization because you were civil to each other. And then, so that's, that's like operating system two is religion. Operating system three was kind of getting to where there's kings or feudal system. The king owned everything. So this is like the British king or Napoleon or whatever. And then operating system three are liberal democracies slash open, uh, open societies. And this is where the law is never done. It's not dictated by the Quran or by the king. It's actually open and it can change. And you can go from, say, in Australia, hangings in the 50s to no people being killed to euthanasia today. Um, and what you've seen is that the portion of people inside a liberal democracy has gone up massively and that the living standards inside of that, so for instance, social safety net, average income, free health care, have gone up and the, the number of people that are killed. So you're now in Australia a thousand times more likely to kill yourself than you are to be murdered by somebody. Whereas it used to be, you know, a single digit percentage of people were killed through intertribal warfare a year in a hunter-gatherer society. So these are the different systems. And if you look at the stats, about half the people in the world now live in a democracy or a liberal democracy up from 200 years ago, like 1%. Um, and the living standards and everything have improved. And the US probably being the most important 
which is the leader of the free world and the backer of the rules-based international order, looks to me <laughs> like it's on a trajectory to not possibly be a liberal democracy. And the last thing I'll say, and then Jay said this, one of my favourite definitions of a democracy is once it has been able to transfer power peacefully twice between the different parties. So like in America, Democrats to Republicans and back to Democrats. And I think you've seen with Trump, not trying to transfer power peacefully. Um, I didn't lose, you know, the January 6th, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't look like he wants to leave politics. And it certainly doesn't look like he's going to give up the next election and be like, I lost fair and square, uh, you know, well done to the other party. And so this doesn't look good. So um, I've, all, I've, I've, I've heard of the, the definition of a democracy being to transfer power peacefully uh, before, but um, yours is the first time I've heard it being done twice. Is that a recent like update of the definition because of what we've had happen recently? Or <laughs> No, well, I believe I got that from Ian Shapiro, who is a professor of politics at Yale. I really like him. Yeah. Um, and so you set up a new country and it's supposed to go to democracy. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the founder and I believe in, but I don't believe in giving up power. <laughs> and so they say the peaceful transfer of power between two parties twice. Um, yeah, so I don't know who came up with it, um, but it's certainly, I don't believe a new definition. I think it's quite old, yeah. It just reminds me of when um, Jane Goodall, do you remember her? She studied chimpanzees in the Gombe for the first time and she realized that they could actually use tools and make tools. And mm -hmm. up until then, human beings were defined as like mm -hmm. I could use tools for themselves. And when she reported that, the um, the professor said, we now need to either redefine what it means to be human, what it means to be tool, or to accept chimpanzees into human society. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, going back to um, you know the introduction. So um, so yeah, so this idea of an operating system is really interesting. And for me, it, it kind of like, so it, it addresses the question, um, yeah, as organisms or in this case, like human beings, as groups get larger, they tend to get more unstable. And so how do we solve for this problem? And I think, um, well, I guess the, the larger a system gets, there's more complexity in there. And so I, can, I would say- I don't know if it actually gets more unstable. Like, you know, look at, look at the world now. I think it's, you know, the world, you know, the number of wars, et cetera, has, you know, on average gone down, you know, the life expectancy has gone up the number of homicides has gone down, et cetera, et cetera. So oh, I'm not sure that that's a yeah. fair comment. So I, I, yeah. I, it's not a fair comment, but I think um, our current operating system. But anyway, maybe it's like there is more complexity when you mm -hmm. enter more people into the mix. And so hunter-gatherer hunter tribes, um, typically they would they um, it would stick to that 150 number, which is um, what they studied at being able to keep a lot of people within one particular group in um, you know in that fashion but then when they started to grow um, one one school of thought was religion was invented to help create that stability around well how do we you know create a um, you know a more stabilized structure when we can't know everyone personally mm -hmm. and um, the king and feudal system you know that's a, another like level above that for me, all of those systems are all based on the power game, which is really when you're more driven by the need for survival than you are by um, you know, higher mind activity, which is why I think what we have now entered into over the last what, 250 odd years with um, you know, democratic societies, is a, is, is, it feels like it's still almost a, 
like, a, what is it? A test run for how we can actually operate as human beings. Like in the, in the long scheme of things, it hasn't really existed for that long. And so now when we're talking about is America at its breaking point, we're going to see just how, you know, how resilient this particular design is. Yeah, um, I think that part of it's a religion, like it was a way to disseminate information in some respects. Um, so it, so each operating system hopefully becomes more positive some. Mm. And, and as such, people flock to it. So, you know, there's, I think, a lot of problems with America today, more than before, like the culture wars, Black Lives Matter, you know, climate change, abortion, et cetera. Um, but that people still want to go to America more than any other place, you know, to the West. They're building a wall. To, not, the Americans aren't running into Mexico and trying to get away. You know, it's the opposite. Um, and so I'm not saying that things can't and shouldn't hopefully improve, but I still think that the West has done a lot and you're not seeing people going to Russia and going to China and going to wherever else it is. They're wanting to come to the West. Um, so each system becomes more positive. Some is one way of looking at it. And religions, the books were very expensive. Paper was not automated and writing was by human hand. And so the only people that had books were like rich people or the religions and then they disseminated information through the sermons you would go to the church or you would go to the mosque or you would go to wherever and there'd be the head of the religious side giving effectively lessons and a lot of these were in morality you may not agree with some of the morality today but it was actually a step up so that was the information dissemination right and then you had the printing press from gutenberg and that made books cheap so instead of only being for the rich people now a lot of people could afford books and at the same time, you go from the age of faith to the age of reason when books become cheap because there was lots of information, but you only couldn't, couldn't access it, right? And so that's when you have the scientific flowering and the beginning of these things, right? And then you get to the 1800s and Nietzsche, etc. God is dead and we have killed him. Well, we had, because of the scientific flowering, the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution allowed us to become or utilize coal to replace power, right? So we were able to have the steam train and the loom instead of, you know, making fabric by hand, et cetera. And so you were able to have school for free. So the government, the public education, you know, in the, started in the 1800s in the UK. And that means that the, not the only education people were getting was going to the church or the mosque. And so what this meant is that the technology changed fundamentally and that allowed a new operating system and that allowed things to level up and become more positive some. So I don't necessarily think that it's fragile and it hasn't been around for long. I think that this system is better and that people in the world are trying to go to the good system and that it wasn't possible beforehand because we hadn't had technologies that allowed people to be able to level up their mind. So I'm not of your view. I think you, you of that at all. I think this is inevitable. <laughs> now, doesn't mean, you know, all that matters for evil to triumph is because we'll sit by and do nothing. Doesn't mean that it will go away. But I think that the arc is in this trend and has been, you know, technology is improving. Right. So um, like, if, I, if I said it was fragile, it's not in the sense that like, it can easily break. But that's like the definition of fragile, is it not? <laughs> and it, point being is like, you know, when you're operating, like, don't want to go into the anthropological side, but when you're, when, you know, our operating system, is largely based on you know systems of power and who controls that, right? So you can think about you know tribal days is really just about you know tribal warfare. You would raid other villages for their supplies and their resources, and um, you know if you didn't fight, you would die. 
in religion, like you said, right? So the text was really withheld by the, the by the wealthy because not everyone could read. In fact, a very, very small number of people could read. Uh, and this was where you had religion really at the apex of power. You had the Crusades, you had the Spanish Inquisition, you basically had all of the um, you know, functions of a society dictated. Like, you know, you wanted to be Galileo and say like, hey, we actually don't uh, have everything revolve around us, it's around the other way. Well, you'd be ostracized and if not killed. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's almost the same for the feudal system. Uh, like a lot of people, we look back on those days and think of how barbaric it was. You know, you stole a loaf of bread, you get your hand chopped off. Mm. And or sent to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, oh God, forgot his name, but um, philosophize this uh, fellow. I can't remember. Oh, damn it. I can't remember his name either. Stephen West. Stephen West. Hey. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he did a really great ex- um, expose on talking about that and how, you know, this abhorrent display of um you know power over criminals wasn't to you know punish them so much as it was to convince everyone else in that society like hey we will protect you look what we do to bad guys right we make punishment so horrific that you will feel like there were no there's no danger around you Mm -hmm. so this idea about like how power gets more and more democratized because of like what you said which is for want of a better definition, technology, right? Once you have the written word, then you have the um, the printed press, and now we have uh, things like the internet uh, spreading information even more further. So you kind of like have this, um, you know, leveling out of the field of how people have access to information and how that changes the way society operates. And so mm-hmm. now I think this is where it gets interesting because now we have societies like the West or the US where information now seems to be evolving into a new paradigm where it's not just like everyone has access to the information. It's like we have access to too much information and that can tend to get weaponized as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So when inequality gets too high, people feel that society is unfair. Um, and normally there's a rebargaining of the social contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, before you could only really have output as much as one person could do. So if you're a doctor, as an example, you can't see 10 times the patients in a day, you know, because you've got the amount of time that you sort of need, right? But if you write a book, you can have 10 times people read it. You just print 10 more of them. So with the Industrial Revolution, you had scale. And so you had the wealthiest people on earth. So there was the robber barons and there was one in charge of each industry, you know, banking, JP Morgan, oil, Rockefeller, steel, Carnegie, trains, Vanderbilt. And these people had crazy wealth. I think in, in equivalent today, Carnegie was like $800 billion today, which is wealthier than Elon is at like $250. Um, and what you had is people working 12 hours a day, six days a week. And so they were poor and they had the wealthiest people that had ever been on earth. And so you had a rebargaining. So inequality at that time in America was higher than it is today, from my understanding of the stats. And they had a rebargaining social contract. What they did is they created unions and they went to five days a week, eight hours a day for the same pay. So six days a week, 12 hours a day to five days a week, eight hours a day. Big rebargaining. Then so inequality goes down. So they normally say inequality goes up slowly and then down, up slowly down. And then you had times and then you had the roaring 20s and then you had the Great Depression and you had inequality high again. And the rebargaining of the contract was the New Deal. So you had welfare, healthcare and other things that were provided. Um, and people now say that another one is needed. And I believe that if Clinton had won instead of Trump, they would have done more of this and put Stiglitz's economic agenda in. But what would people say as an example, universal health care, 
free uh, tertiary education in the US and another rebargaining and also lifting the minimum wage because minimum wage has been declining in real terms in the US, whereas in Australia, it's been going up in real terms. Um, so maybe we don't actually know that. So anyways, um, to me, when inequality gets high, people normally get unhappy because they don't think the system's fair. And if the system's fair, they don't want to be part of the system. And this is not the first time. And so what you normally need to do is to try to set up the system to be as fair as possible. So capitalism or liberal democracy is best at growing the pie, you know, but you've got to figure out how to split the pie in the easiest way possible. And that hasn't been going so well. And people like Trump, I don't think, have been helping with that. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting, I think, closer to um, trying to, I guess, dissect the situation that we have um, at, at the present moment. So this idea of um, systemic inequality, I agree. I think that can be kind of like this conduit to creating an unstable society, right? But not only the, the idea of, um, you know, the more wealth inequality in a society, but the more apparent wealth inequality. If you can see your neighbors doing far better than you are, then that's going to, you know, potentially do a lot of things around create additional stress, breed resentment, um, but like make it so that you're not actually, um, you know, feeling like signing on to this system that rewards some and not others. And I think it's more so this idea that it's not so much your direct neighbor, but if you are one of the, um, you know, the central states of the US or, you know, what they call flyover states, as opposed to on the coastal cities, it gets, it can be broadcasted that it seems like there's a lot more happening in, you know, the, um, the more cosmopolitan cities, the more um, democratic, all of those different areas. Whereas what, you know, Trump, I think, tapped into what this idea that you are forgotten, you're being left behind, you're having your job stolen. Um, and that's where you can get this idea of resentment at the political level, because then you have this concept of weaponizing one political party against the other. Mm. Well, this is the thing. So, yeah, I think, where does it come back to? So this is a sort of model. Um, I think that countries like Australia, as an example, have a more positive some operating system or government than the US. And what's some of the reason for this? Well, we have a minimum wage. It's a living wage. You work full time, you'll be able to go and put a roof of your head and food in your mouth. Whereas in the US, you can't. Australia actually has the highest minimum wage on a purchasing power parity basis, according to Wikipedia on Earth, and about double what the US has. We have free healthcare. If you're sick, you can walk in and get help. You know, um, And so to me, if you were at the bottom of the income spectrum, I think you'd much prefer to be an Australian than you would in the US. And the second order outcome of this is that, so Rawls would say that what you do is you optimize society for the opportunity set of those at the bottom. And that inequality done well is a feature, not a bug. But the only inequality that you allow is that which increases the opportunity set for those at the bottom. So to me, no inequality we've seen it is communism and everyone's lower and you can't move if it doesn't matter. But inequality done well means a higher starting point for those at the bottom. And so to me, you, you can have this set up. I think the US, unfortunately, hasn't been going in, in the right direction. It appears as sort of like two, three decades, i.e. The, the, the opportunity set for those at the bottom hasn't really been improving. Um, but those at the top, it has. And it's a long-term untenable thing. Um, and he's like, well, why did this get to this place? And, and what do you do to, to get out of here? We can change the policies if people think they should be the case. And I would say that there's a couple of reasons you got here. Like one is which hardcore Republican ideologues, but also in, in cahoots with the Murdoch media, have been able to, since the early 90s, railroad everything. 
And so I think this is actually the underlying, so to me, systemic inequality and a society becoming more unequal has led to the conditions of unhappiness. And at this point, you often have polarization. You yeah. go to the extremes, extreme left, extreme right. And yeah, so it's just interesting. Yeah, so like this comes back full circle to my, um, the point I was trying to make earlier, however haphazardly, where this idea that for the majority of human history, we've got operating systems that are built on the platform is power game, right? So mm -hmm. it's really, um, you know, who holds the power, um, you know, might is right, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, since the founding fathers, the idea of, you know, this more egalitarian or liberal society where we want to try and figure out what is the, you know, the way in which you can, I don't know, honor the sanctity of the individual and have a, a much more upwardly mobile system that allowed for all people to potentially succeed. But like for me, one example I can like I can speak to is how the Republican Party became weaponized and reverted back to this idea of power games. And um, you know, the example I can think of is Newt Gingrich. So this fellow back in the, the 70s and 80s um, would proudly exclaim, you know, to anyone that would listen to him that, you know, we are, we are human beings, we're natural creatures and nature is based on, on power. And he would actually go into the political, uh, like the, the Republican parties and like back then they were like, according to him, um, in a much more um, uh, uh, conciliatory and accommodating manner. And he, uh, would say that he taught them how to become much more weaponized in the pursuit for power rather than for um, actual congressional uh, progress. Hmm. Well, they say there's either the rule of power or the rule of law hmm. or a system of justice or a system of revenge. And it seems, to, or, you know, you can look at the things, like the number of uh, people crossing, uh, voting over different lines in the House of, uh, uh, so in Congress or in, in the Senate in the US, there used to be way more overlap and now there's way less. So it's very hard to say that the haven't be, parties haven't become more polarised. Mm. And I think it's partially due to like politicians like Newt Gingrich and partially due to Murdoch. But then you've got to this. So, so how can you change this? And so this is model I built. There's the laws, the enforcement of the laws, and then three things that sit on top, politicians, media, and the voters. But the underlying laws, so things like the minimum wage declining in real terms, I don't think has been a good thing for the US. And I think... It's going up. It's too low. You can have your cake and eat it too. People that are born into income that low, it's a poverty trap. Even if they work full time, they can't get out of it. And so then they will often turn to other things like crimes. So they have far more second order consequence of crime because of the low minimum wage or minimum wage is too low than they would lose labor to you know China or to you know whatever um, Mexico. And so to me, they could change that. They could change the healthcare. So they pay twice as much as Australia or the US, so the UK or, or Canada for the same healthcare outcomes. Um, and so those are two things that I think would materially help. Um, and then I think they need to have stronger in, uh, in, uh, in um, the rule of law. Like there's just what they've done. I think Black Lives Matter and defund the police has not helped with the rule of law. You can see it. And it just means people are less trusting in society and they kind of want to tear the whole thing down. So to me, that, that's the, the laws that we may go through this. They can be changed to help, but it feels like 
with Murdoch around and people like Trump or whatever, <clears throat> that's very hard because they're, they're ideologues. Mm. Well, I think to try and understand this better and why people behave they do is to, like, for me, an approach would be to understand what their core values are. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if we, like, go to the extremes, for me in the Republican um, ideology, the extreme would be something like everything is down to the individual. You have self-responsibility. Like we want to set up a system of government where the government itself plays the absolutely minimal role. Like they want to get government out of business. They want to get government out of communities. And they say, it's like, it's really up to you. You're like, you know, pull your boots up, get yourself organized, like take responsibility for your own life. No, like, you know, makers and takers kind of like, um, I don't think they're full libertarian, which is what you're describing. Well, I'm, I'm talking about extremes here, right? Yeah, but, so, but I don't think that's the standard orthodoxy of the Republican Party. No, 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 no. Libertarian, yeah. But if, um, if you can start at the extremes, it makes it easier to try and figure out what the spectrum looks like. Because then, like, when I talk about the extreme of the left or the, the, the extreme of the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, not the Democratic, but anyway, the, the left extreme is really like the breakdown. I woke, Frank. <laughs> yeah, but like what they're talking about is break the breakdown of the capitalist system, right? Because they are so abho- like... Well, they're uh, socialists. Yeah. But, yeah. So they say like, you know, just tear the system down. Like we should have something where, you know, everybody's lifted up to some level, some base level of uh, equanimity. So those are the two extremes. And if we're looking at like, how do we bring that to a more centralized view? Then you can kind of think about, okay, so if you're a Republican, then you want to have this idea of, uh, you know, maintaining a capitalistic society, but you are less adhered to more social welfare programs, right? They're not as keen to have, you know, their their hard-earned dollars paid towards like somebody else's education. Or pay towards somebody else's, um, you know, healthcare. Whereas mm-hmm. on the left, if you're, you know, more progressive, then you're not as amenable to things that try to maintain the status quo. One, one thing that I've heard, which I quite like, is like monopolies are bad, right? And <laughs> un, unbridled free markets, you normally have monopolies. That's what happened with the rubber barons. One person for oil, one person for banking, one person for steel, etc. And then they go through and they try to defend their monopolies. Hardcore, which is what you see with like Amazon today, you know, Facebook, etc. And then what you had is they elected a president, so which was McKinley, and he got killed for being um, too in support of this. And then Teddy Roosevelt was his vice president, came in and he broke up the <coughs> monopoly. So you had Standard Oil broken into all the little baby Standard Oil ones, right? Um, you had AT and T broken into the baby bells, etc. Right? Um, so no regulation in either side is bad. And then communism is a monopoly by definition. So no competition is normally bad. So what people sort of, I don't know if they necessarily understand is free markets entirely normally equals monopoly and socialism is by definition a monopoly. And so no rules is bad. So you've got to find this balance in there, right? Um, And to me, that means that over time, so they say good laws, Stop the thing you want whilst interfering with superordinate outcomes as minimally as possible, which means like other things. So all else equal, typically, and again, not every country is equal, but let's just take Australia. There are more laws than ever before, things you cannot do, but you can also do more things than ever before. Jobs, you know, things. things. So these laws, all else equal, are positive sum. So it's really strange. You're going to look at like how positive sum is the operating system. 
it used to be that you could state the 10 commandments. I can't state them. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but now I don't think there's one person that knows all of the law. You have like law firms and they just do corporate law. But, you know, and then they've got, you know, whatever, employment law, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so it gets increasingly complex, but increasingly positive sum done well. But it's just like, is the US on track to break? And so that was the sort of key thing. And then what would you do about it? So do you have a view on that, James? Okay. So in terms of breaking, I, I created a little model in terms of like, what are we talking about the scenarios here? Hmm. So like scenario negative one would be like, we've actually hit peak polarization and it reversed back to some historical mean over time. So negative that's, one. that's positive one. <laughs> negative. Well, well, I'm talking about like scenarios. We're going, we're going in a good way. Right? Yeah. Um, zero would be it somehow manages to maintain this level of polarization within one or plus one or negative one standard deviation mm. but there's three systems it's kind of like what you said there's a social order there's a political order and there's a governmental order they all remain intact so level one i say the social order breaks down but political and government still remains level two is social political order breaks down but the government still maintains and then order three is like everything breaks down. Hmm. So for me, what I think is the most likely is level one or two. So I don't think, um, I still think it's possible, and we can talk about that. I don't think the government, which is basically Congress, executive branch, judicial uh, system, I don't think they will break. I do think there will be some complete breakdown of the political parties and they will actually, you know, take what is already being like, you know, teased, teased with, which is like, they're the enemy. You know, I'd rather Putin than Hillary. Um, and they will like really dial that up in a much more adversarial manner. But I think the actual system itself will maintain intact. That's what I think is the likeliest outcome. I'm not saying anything else is beyond the pale though. What are your thoughts? I don't know. Like, um, again, in the beginning, that one definition of democracy is the peaceful transfer of power between one, you know, president to another, as an example. Trump does not look like he's not going to run. <laughs> and Trump did not concede, you know, to the big lie. And so as long as you have somebody like that, you have a very large chance of it breaking. Yep. Um, so to me, you can care about yourself. You can care about your family. You can care about your party. You can care about your country or you can care about the globe. Instead of the concentric circles, right? And I'd say that most presidents were either the country or the globe. And I don't know even if they were that much their party. Whereas Trump was just about him or his family. So he's the first one that just doesn't care about anything. He's willing to burn the world down. And he has, so, you know, I think that ultimately it's much better to care, I suppose, about a larger, larger portion of people. Um, and he is just willing to lie. It's not what is actually truth. You saw it, like, he lied, there's like 80% lies. Whereas almost everyone else has problems with this so they, they don't just care about themselves they aren't willing to just lie and also trump i think is a bloody good communicator because of having been on a, um the celebrity apprentice etc yeah. uh, and so to me i'd say that trump is the most dangerous part because i don't believe that the other republican you know candidates that were put forward would have done what he did hmm. um and so annoyingly he seems like he's quite virile and is not going away anytime soon um, so to me, with him around, there's a big chance that this happens. Um, I would say that it was 0% chance the US democracy breaks like, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's like 25% chance. Because <laughs> I think 
50% chance he gets back in and 50% chance he manages to break the democracy. They almost had it happen. Like that, you know, if Pence didn't vote, they would have done this. So they got a couple of people to disavow certain votes. They would have actually been back in power. Uh, so what are the systems from here? You have one person take over and become like president for life, kind of like Xi Jinping or Putin inside of the US. Uh, and then does the US is, you know, stop being so positive some, because I think they've backed the rules-based order. No one's saying they're perfect and companies can create something here and not have their IP stolen on this into China. Um, so well, anyways, I'm going to pause there. I, I really think that there's a non-trivial chance that it breaks, but then what happens? And that, that was the next thing I was going to talk about, about what, what are the possible options in my head of what would happen after I just went through one option. Yeah. So just to be clear though, like I think you and I are on the same page that should Trump run in 2024 and should he lose the popular vote or at least should he lose all of the, um, should, should he lose the voting that he will enact, you know, execute order 66, which is when all of the, uh, you know, Republican peace peaceheads then throw out whatever votes in their local district or their... Is it actually 66? Or did you just... oh, that's the Star Wars quote. <laughs> oh, okay. I did not know, yeah. But like whatever, you know, whatever diabolical the uh, plan is, this is still all within the realm of it being operating within the, the governmental system, right? Even though this is... But it's wild. not. To me, if, if he is no longer someone who's elected properly... Yeah. The system is totally broken, so it doesn't operate. It's to broken. Me it's broken, but he's not. He's not doing it through um, abject power. He's not just like. Yes, he is, but it's slowly how you take over. So to me, it's not like I don't know. Putin got into power, and he's wildly more powerful today than he was when he came to power in two thousand, wherever it was. Okay, so like Xi Jinping. So to me, the trajectory at that point is one of the options. So this is not like operating at any. The resemblance is gone. Yeah, hundred percent gone. Gone, but the distinction I'm making this is manipulation rather than coercion. Right, so this is not like the outcome is the same. Yeah, the outcome is the same, but which is just, no democracy, no well, vote, no laws changing, none of it. So, right. yeah, so that, that it's not the same. There's no three branches of government equal, you know, etc. There's no passing of laws. This is one person doing what they want. It's an autocracy, not a yeah. democracy. Okay, so, so if Trump okay. gets in without pop, without actual de democratic voting and can't get out, hmm. it is an autocracy. Yeah, but other government branches are irrelevant. There is a difference between Russia and Syria. Right, there is a difference between someone who instills themselves as the autocratic leader, and they just have a you know like a kangaroo court or like a defunct democracy underneath. That is Russia. That's Russia. But in yeah. Syria, when they actually want to overthrow the government because everything is just broken, and then you have chaos. Right. So this yeah. is where we're no, trying that, to but that's gone. Yeah. This is where we're trying to figure out what happened to the U.S. Did the U.S. Oh, actually yeah. turn into an autocracy where there is a functioning system it's just in an autocratic and corrupt one or is it chaos where there's an actual civil war where there's an actual yeah. breakdown of the, the governmental bodies right so that's what i'm trying to make a distinction okay. i think it's more likely that it will turn into some corrupt autocratic system and there might be some like small social guerrilla war warfare i don't think it'll break out into like absolute chaos where there's like a you know civil war in the fields and people are fighting battles and you know, it's, it goes back right down back to the power games, and it's like it's just like whoever can who win out the war will win out the you know future of the United States. Okay, so so maybe the distinction I'd make is then, whilst there's the branches of government, they do not operate at all like they do now. It mm. is totally different. It is effectively so. So to me, the options are okay. Well, there is somebody in power for the rest of their life. That's one, and the U.S. stays together. Option two is the, the states break, so you, you go into different things. So, for instance, I don't know, you might have the Northeast, California, et cetera. They, they join one block. 
And then, so there's not that many big, like, you know, then Texas joins another block, you know, sort of Republican block. So you might have two blocks that, that happen. And then inside of that, there'll be like sort of the moderate and the sort of left and, you know, the moderate and the right. <laughs> so to me, I don't think, I think it's more likely that so if Trump was a illegitimate, um, you know, really got in, <laughs> illegitimate. Um, illegitimately got in, I don't think you would see the Northeast block, like, you know, New York, you know, Boston, you know, Massachusetts, whatever, right? Except this. Mm. So um, they'd like break. They'd break, yeah. And so the, the biggest economic blocks for the US are more left-leaning. So option one, uh, you know, stays as it is. I think that's at, at risk, uh, you know, where you have free and fair elections and the peaceful transfer of power. Option two, you have someone who is illegitimately put in power and doesn't get out. And then I think out of this, you could have them become a Putin or, or Xi Jinping, they take over the whole country, or you split into different blocks. And option three is you have the breakout of civil war, um, which I don't think, I, you know, which could happen. So to me, I think it'd be more likely that it would split into different blocks. Um, but I think that that's less good for America and the world um, because then with relative power, like what happens second order consequence out of this, they say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Xi Jinping would be the most powerful thing and there wouldn't be as, as good a coalition to push back on him and just do what he wants. He would just take over everything. Do you know what I mean? So to me, like, you just start taking all the countries that move around, you know, force them all to be subservient and have an empire um, in a negative some way. Look what he's done to the Chinese people, not just the Uyghurs, but the people that are creating companies, the social credit system, the locking down of people in Shanghai. He's already a total dick to them. And the system, which was getting more and more positive sum. So under Mao, they had lower living standards at the end of it than at the start. And they hold him up as this great person. 10% of people died through, uh, through starvation. Right. And then they had a system that changed under Deng, getting more and more positive sum. And then Xi Jinping comes back in and it's getting more and more negative sum again. And so the system that would be pushed is Xi's system, which would be more negative sum for everyone. So it'd just be a bad outcome. Yeah. Well, I think like it's also worth noting that what we're discussing here isn't as far fetched as like you would say. Probably not far fetched. <laughs> so, like, you know, in, in a lot of, in some of the, um, in the research that has been done, they found, um, the question, though, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save the country. But like 18% of the country agreed with that statement. And so, eight, 18 or 18? 18, 18, right? So like one in five, one in five uh, respondent, 30% of Republicans, Republicans agreed with that statement, right? So one, like, what is that? One in three Republicans are saying that like, you know, because of the way things are going, like I think violence is a justified response. Um, the other one was, so majority of Americans now think there should be some form of splitting of the country. So it was like 51% across the board. It's like 48% of Democrats agree, 56% of Republicans agree. So they're already at a point where they're ready for like a national divorce or whatever you want to like call it. But like for me, there's no way this happens in a clean manner. Like I don't, no, you know, I, I don't see there being red states and blue states. There are purple states with indiscernible amounts of red or blue tint. Oh no, no. I, so you, you could have like it used to be if if Scotland wanted to secede from the UK, they'd have to raise an army and go and fight them. Now they have a referendum, mm. right? And so it could definitely be peaceful. But what would happen then? So California has been 
you know, a democratic state of thing the whole time. And so it's effectively a monopoly. You would have the democratic party split into two. I think that would actually be good because anything that's monopoly normally gets higher in its own supply. And so success is literally an intoxicant. It makes you overconfident. It makes people kowtow to you, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, but to me, we were becoming one global family until Putin and Xi Jinping, <laughs> you know? And so there weren't two dickheads trying to make the world <clears throat> less positive sum, mm. trying to steal, trying to take Ukraine, trying to, you know, sort of, you know, subjugate people, et cetera, et cetera, you know, doing, you know, cultural extermination with the Uyghurs, et cetera. Um, and so to me, yeah, like what is worse? And it's really funny is, is like Trump, there's anything, Murdoch, the woke, you know, um, or, or Russia, you know, because I think they're the sort of four major ones um, that are screwing the US. Um, and I was interested to see what your thoughts on that are. All right. So for me, if, if Trump gets himself back into power, I don't see this like ending like civil with, with civility kind of thing. I think there is going to be some form of backlash, especially if it appears that he got in there very much illegitimately, right? So they, they had to throw out votes. They had to um, you know, call in all of the different order um, of um, you know, state voting and all of the different systems were corrupt, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that would actually get violent because you've got Joe, Joe Biden or whoever is still standing by 2024 uh, in the office. And so they would have to transfer power. And if they saw like if, so what you would have happen is you have the votes counted. They see the votes that they won legitimately. And so yeah. the democratic nominee, nominee would get transferred to. So, you know, Joe Biden would say like, this person won, I'm giving the thing over to them. Um, I don't know if Joe Biden will go for a re-election. He looks like he's getting on in his years. I think he will. Yeah, go on. Exactly. So it might be Kamala Harris, might be someone. No, else. I think he will try to go for re-election. Okay, so, so let's just say it's Joe, it's Joe Biden re, reruns and he wins, but mm. then Trump is saying like, no, I won. But mm. now you've got, okay, so what's actually going to happen? Well, Joe Biden is not going to capitulate. He's not going to say you get the power. He's going to try and hold on to the executive branch. He's going to try and hold on to um, you know, the, the, uh, the national army. And so you're going to have Trump, I think, like turn the dial up on this much more insidious notion of like rallying up a part of his base into saying like, this was now stolen from you for real. And now you have to take it back. And so I think this is, got, this is where I see it not going to be like a, a wave of people rushing into, um, you know, Washington and taking over by force. I think it's going to be much more like guerrilla warfare, like the IRA. Um, and I think it's going to happen over a period of the, um, you know, 2024 20, to 2028. And then what happens after that, if, you know, even if Trump can live that long, let, let's be honest, he won't ever die. Evil never dies. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, so what do I think will happen? I think Joe Biden or the Democratic nominee will win. I think they will hold on to the, um, the executive office, but then Trump will try and use whatever excuse he can to justify the power that it was his. Yeah. Um, so what, what can we do? Um, what can be done, right? Mm. They could change the laws, and they did that. Could they, like, as in minimum wage, could go up, healthcare? But like, it feels like the, the, the Democrats have, I don't know, you know, not done well. That they could make it more difficult to have an election not be fair and free. Mm. So you have to count the votes. You can't just have some bureaucrat, you know, um, uh, say no, these votes are disqualified. Like, this is not allowed. 
So to me, you do not want the cheapest election. You want the most secure election. There are no more electronic county things. It's all paper. Like literally, yeah, it's more expensive, but it's much harder to corrupt. You know, you, 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 much, much, much harder. So to me, you go at having the election be as hard as possible to corrupt and you go at, so I think, you know, getting rid of guns, which would be a good idea. I think this is impossible, Joan, but I do think minimum wage is something you can make progress on. And I do think healthcare is something you can make progress on. That's reasonable. Yeah. Then there's the enforcement of the laws. Um, so to me, this is one of the big ones. You need a moderate takeover. The free speech laws, you can't do libel, you can't do hate, you can't do sedition. And I think Trump has clearly done all three of those and it wasn't enforced on Twitter. And so it appears to me that the discourse, you know, Twitter is a one of the core keenest, uh, you know, the, the global town square of where things occur. And if you can change what's happening on there from the debate of who's getting censored to what the laws are and what's fair and reasonable, you can change the discussion. And so I do think that this is one thing you can make fast progress on. One person with a lot of money, Elon, can buy it and change the discussion from what's getting censored to what the laws are because it's every single decision is open for seeing. Right now, it's a black box. It's completely, imagine the cops came up and put you away and put you in jail and said, what law have you broken? He said, not telling. I want some recourse, not allowed. That's what Twitter is. The decisions, there's no open. It's totally untenable not to have openings and no recourse, right? It's all social media. So uh, Elon's proposing that the algorithms are public and every decision that is made in the algorithms or if there's human intervention is public to be seen and that there is a recourse mechanism. That's the only way to have an open society. You, you cannot have like, yes, in the secret court where my buddy says that you were guilty and you have been forced to confess to all of your crimes, aka what happens in China, you know, that, that's a good system of law. Yeah. Um, so to me, yeah, could you change the laws? Yes. Could you change the enforcement of the laws? I think what Twitter, Elon's doing, like literally the best strategy I have to help get out of this is what Elon's doing. And then number three is politicians. Could you have a moderate? Biden is kind of moderate, or he is, but the left wing, the extreme left wing of his party is, is taking over and wrecking things. And then the Republican party's had a you know hostile takeover by Trump. So you need someone to run on a third party ticket. I don't know who. Um, and then you need a good media company, which is doing balanced, centrist, moderate media. Um, and then you can change the voters are too long. So to me, those are the major avenues that I see to be able to change things. One of the things I think is also important is I don't think this is a, a legal or law-based um, battle anymore. I think this is an information war, right? So the, the idea of trying to make the election seem more legitimate, I don't think will help because you've just seen a legitimate election play itself out and not one single case brought before the court had any um, you know, credence given to it, but uh, you, know, you still have a large number of the Republican Party using it at the talking point that the election was stolen. That's not fair. Have, have you seen so that one of the major points where they thought they lost was because of these electronic voting machines, the previous thing. This is one of the major stories pushed around and that they think that they found a problem where it was not counting correctly. And so they pushed this fake story. So if you remove any electronic counting machines, you take away the ammunition for a lot of this. Yeah, but so, so, so I do think it, you can affect it. Definitely you can, yeah. I think you can affect it, but I don't think that's going to change their, their tactics because even when you had- It's never like it's black or white. It's just yeah. like, stop giving them kindling for a fire and it's harder to have a fire. I'm not saying it's impossible. So to me, electronic voting machines are extraordinarily stupid. They are you know, impossible to trust. 
get rid of all of them. Hmm. So obvious, easy. Is it going to necessarily make a free and fair election? No. But should it make it harder for someone to manipulate things as they are because they're using these stories and they're making this? Yes, it should make it harder. But it's not a, there's no panaceas. I, don't, I think that's fair. But that doesn't mean everything's futile. No, I, like it's not about everything being futile. It's about even when you had paper voting and you get, you know, a company like Cyber Ninja going in and counting the ballots, you know, seeing whether they were made out of bamboo from China or if they had these, you know, postmarks on them that were put on there by Trump to show that they were illegitimate. All of these other talking points. I think the, 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 the premise here is that there's no one thing that they held on to. They actually created such a plethora of different and wide ranging different reasons and stories. There was nothing that anyone could actually hold on to as one talking point. And so it was enough confusion, right? You know, um, Conway, alternate facts. So when you suddenly have different talking points um, as to what the real problem is, then you can stir up enough distrust, you can stir up enough illegitimacy in the process. And I think that's what Trump is, you know, using as his playbook, which is as long as I can remove trust in the process rather than, um, you know, saying this one thing is the reason why the whole thing's illegitimate, then there's enough for him to create, you know, distrust, uh, you know, potential chaos, potential fear, all of those different areas, but it's all based on the information that he is, um, you know, providing to his base. And I don't know how the Democrats are going to be able to respond against that. Yeah, well, I think, but so Trump effectively said fake news and everything they tell you is a lie. Mm-hmm. So only believe what you want to believe. So he helped move the dial towards that. And I think that you want to help move the dial back towards not having that. So there's no one thing, right? So as an example, is paper harder to fake than you know electronic voting? Yes. <laughs> if you have Twitter where they are not enforcing the free speech laws and that decisions that are made are in a black box, then you can have people say, well, this is the left because, you know, it is in, in San Francisco and it probably is slightly left-leaning, but they don't know they are because they're surrounded by people that are all like them. Um, and then they get against this and they go, well, yeah, look, this is another person. They're, they're shutting us down. Whereas if you can see every decision of censorship and you can see that it's pissed off the people on the extreme left and the extreme right, and that there is recourse, it's much harder to have that story, hmm. right? And so to me, we need to do the things that we can to help have the tide go back. Uh, you know, Trump going away would, would massively help, but I don't think, I think he's got another 20 years in him, which is, which is you know, I don't think great for the positive summons of the globe. Um, and so to me, it's kind of like, what can you do? <laughs> and the best ones that I've got are change all of the voting things to be, paper put more people that are checking stuff in place get twitter taken over by elon and do what he's done and then try to have a moderate candidate run on a third ticket and put your answer and who is that i I don't know you know but you know there's this whatever his name jesse ventura um who i've just been learning about seems like honestly somebody you, you, you know i don't know arnold schwarzenegger I'm just putting forward, like, I'm not a US public, you know, um, sort of uh, politics expert, but then there can't be from the existing candidates. Like Hillary Clinton, whilst there's parts that I respect about her, they have been showing, like, you know, Bill Clinton lying, you know, they've done lots of misinformation campaigns, which I think are proven now. 
And so they, they are fundamentally not able, like they are rightfully seen as liars. <laughs> uh, and I think that they are net positive some, but they are absolutely not centrist candidates that are going to make it work. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, every time the idea of a third ticket is, is brought up, the, the, the prevailing notion is that all you're doing is splitting the vote of one party. So you either have you know someone break from the Republican Party and runs as independent, and all you're doing is splitting the Republican vote, or you have someone who's democratic, like Bernie Sanders, runs as an independent, and then what you're doing is you're just splitting the Democratic vote. Well, I maybe because like so there was the Liberal Party in Australia was started after World War II, so there was a new party, hmm. and you had the Republican Party started you know by Lincoln. So most of the time it doesn't happen, but like to me they've got so polarized that you need a new party, and that it is possible. And so in Australia, it was it a protest about what happened with the Teal candidates? I think, yes. You know, is it going to long-term go away? Well, it depends if you have Bloody Dutton or ScoMo is because I, you know, think that they are clearly out of sync with, you know, the, you know the, what average Australians are. So to me, yeah, um, I don't know. You can have a third party. It's, it's time. <laughs> yeah. Interesting take. All right. Well, I think speaking of time, I think we're just about running out of it. So try and... Do you have a meeting? We've got another seven minutes to get to an hour. But another... if you need to jump... I do have to jump at quarter past, but I reckon we can go five more minutes and then we can do summary. Yeah, cool. So right. you're saying, yeah. Okay, so like, what do I think is actually a, a likely scenario that will help here? And like, honestly- you Got any ideas? Well, no, yeah. President James. <laughs> what we don't have is time. We've got three years, two years. Two years. Two years, right? I don't think a third party candidate can bring up anywhere near enough uh, support within that time. Well, Yang, Yang is talking about um, Andrew Yang, a third party helping. Mm. And I think you could find a lot of people. The problem is that like, people that might fund him, like, well, I don't know, because Elon, because like Bloomberg is, is is no longer neutral. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, the really big billionaires that are sort of into this. Point, point so is, Elon will fund him. Like, um, according to Bill Maher, the D is toxic to anyone, to, to most Republicans. Democrats. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's not cool. Not cool. Like, you really miss the mark here. I guess. <laughs> well, that's a very popular talking point uh, okay, on my okay. TV show. But Duncan went there. Do whatever. D stands for Duncan, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so my point is, I I strong I, I strongly agree and think that anyone who tried to run on a third um, ballot or third party, if they came from the Democratic Party or have any affiliation with the Democratic Party, I think you will immediately ostracize the entire Republican base. I don't think that within the next two years, you could have anyone come from complete like impartiality of either side, like saying like, I have no affiliation with the Republicans. I have no affiliation with the Democrats. I'm running on a third platform. And I don't know, like, like when you ask, what do I think is a good solution? I don't think that's a good solution. Is it possible? Anything is possible, but mm -hmm. I don't think that's likely or even probable. Um, what do I think is the best approach? I, I think it's interesting this um, analogy you bring in about Twitter which is like to save Twitter, Elon's, you know, believe strongly that you got to open it up. You got to make it transparent so that people can understand how the algorithm works. That's um, the idea of a liberal democracy. There's the rule of law, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not the rule of power. And right. there's no law there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the, the idea of like, how can we try and translate that into a better way of operating at the, at the government level? 
in creating more transparency, right? So how can we make it clear to people how the voting system works? Because it seems opaque as F to me, even now when I try to understand all of the different permutations and layers of government that go into this process. Right. Um, I think one thing that you can try and do is, I think the next one will have, like if they do mail-in ballots, I think that's actually not going to help. I think they mm -hmm. need to try and figure out how they can do it. Um, like a, a national holiday would actually be super helpful. One. Right? So, because a lot of the policy changes Republicans are trying to make is make it harder for people to vote. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they say like mail-in voting Ill illegitimate. So you're like between a rock and a hard plate. So what do I think is the most achievable and the most helpful thing between now and then? National holiday for voting. Yeah, and it's good one. Mandatory, actually, making it mandatory. No, this is against it. There's no way that's going to go up, dude. I know, I know, I know. But there you go. There's my idea, Duncan. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to do a summary. Um, the free and peaceful transfer, the free and fair elections and the peaceful transfer of power is one of the hallmarks of the definition of democracy. And it appears that that is increasingly in peril in the US. And that the, you know, the portion of countries that are in, you know, open democracies has gone up. And this has been a net good, I think, for the world. You can invest in businesses and IP, you know, you're not, there's less people killing each other and other stuff. So if the US goes away, they are the most powerful country, you know, economically and militarily, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That does, that has to, even if it splinters into states like, you know, I don't know, you have half of the US, whatever, as one country and half of it as another country. Um, it can't improve the positioning relative to China, <laughs> right? <laughs> and Xi Jinping looks like he's going to be, you know, dictator for the rest of life. Um, and so to me, He's been a dick to other countries. He's been a dick to his own people. Um, and he is doing, pursuing more and more what appear to me to be negative some, you know, policies. Like tapping down on their own, you know, sort of high business people. So people want to do less investment there, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, it just doesn't look good. Um, and, you know, the, people, the founders of the modern democracy, the Americans, you know, appear to be going down. And, and why... Well, Trump has to be a huge part of it. We haven't really touched on the woke side of things. Mm. When people are you know, willing to lie all over the place, like I think you catch, you know, Warren lying, you know, um, et cetera. It just, it's just not okay. Um, so to me, the best strategies that I can see is changing the public discourse to be about enforcing the rules. And one of the ways is Twitter and then finding an acceptable moderate candidate that you can fund that can show America. Because like I think what happened in Australia is there was this sort of right-leaning party got booted hard and that the party that got in was like a, a very centrist version. So that, you know, before the prior election with Shorten, there were far more left-leaning agenda. And this was just a super moderate agenda. I don't think Yang can be because the whole UBI thing that he pushes is too extreme. Mm. Um, and I'm also not sure it's actually sure it's better. Um, I think that lifting minimum wage and help free healthcare, are, I think, you know, obvious steps for America. So anyways, um, it's super sucky. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, this, you know, what happened is you had the fall of the German democracy and the rise of Hitler. You know, you had the fall of, you know, whatever, Italy, et cetera, and Mussolini. Um, uh, and so you could honestly see the US fall. We had FDR who came in as a centrist candidate um, and united America. So, yeah, that's what I would think. Okay. So to summarize Duncan's summary, democracy yeah. good, Xi Jinping bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> well, I mean, it depends because, like, the, yes, well, yeah, all else equal, if the people are voting, then the best outcome is the positive summness for the people. Whereas if it's just one person in charge, it's just what they want, you know, make my life better. All right. So for me, going back to trying to solve the original problem of, um, you know, how do we get larger and larger groups of humans to cooperate? So this idea in a net positive some way. Um, and so um, what we discussed earlier, which is for the largest part of human history, it's all been based on, um, you know, the power game or survival going from, you know, tribal, um, you know, the rules of the tribe, uh, religion, feudal systems, um, and all the way up until, let's just say, you know, the founding of America and the Industrial Revolution, where you, you then have, you know, elected governments and democracies. Uh, for me, democracy is by far the most positive sum um, operating system that humans have invented. Um, for me, democracy is, I believe, you know, the best form of, um, of, of government. But I also believe it's now reaching a point where it is being tested and uh, we are, you know, we're, we're, we're going to see whether it can stand the test of <laughs> this, this point in time where there does seem to be growing instability. Um, so what did that actually look like? We have, it would seem in the, the most uh, powerful democracy in the world, the US, a polarized political system where you have, um, you know, two parties who have grown further away from this idea of growth through competitive cooperation to outright opposition of each other. And I think, should this continue through things like the re-election, whether legitimate or not, of someone like Trump, is going to just throw, you know, kerosene on, um, you know, on, on the fire. Mm. So what do I think is, a likely scenario, I think a likely scenario is that, you know, Trump will continue to be Teflon Don, like the January 6th Inquisition will yield nothing for him at least, you know, everyone around him might fall by the wayside, but I do think he will rerun on 2024. I do think that he will have been well prepared by instigating a um, information grassroots warfare between now and then. And I do believe that he will have been able to sow enough distrust that no matter what legitimate means of um, voting has been installed, he will be able to create enough, um, uh, you know, chaos in his own base for them to not accept the outcome unless it is him winning. Mm. So what that actually means for, um, you know, post 2024, I do think um that while the Democrats will make, I don't think there can be enough time or enough, um, resources for a third party candidate. I, I don't believe that's possible. And if they do, I do think then that will, person will come from the Republican or the Democratic side and then they're just going to split those votes. Um, so what I think most likely will be is that they will still maintain some form of um, you know, governmental oversight. I don't think Congress will break down. I don't think the judicial system will break down. I do think those will still be enforced, but I do think that- James, how can the judicial system be enforced if the laws aren't enforced? Those two are fundamentally at odds. If you no longer have the rule of law, the judicial system doesn't work. So the whole of China is a kangaroo court. Yeah. So, so to me, this, this, this doesn't, what you're saying is like, in my it, opinion, I'd definitely say, incompatible. No, I'd say Congress will continue to function. Right, I didn't say they were. So the judicial system will function, which means that you have the, you know, you know, justice. Yeah, and right. So fundamentally, so if you do not, Congress will function, judicial will function, the executive branch will be some level of corrupt. 
All right. But, but if that's corrupt, so if there is no longer free and fair elections, we should stop here, then the whole system is broken. There's no judicial yeah. system that is fair and reasonable. There's no rule of law. Yeah, I agree. But therefore, the judicial system is not functioning. Well, like when you like when we say it's functioning or it's not functioning, like there is a judicial system that is doling out, you know, laws that need to be you know, implemented and enforced, whether that is through fair means or legitimate means is another question, right? If there is no functioning judicial system, then they have no ability to enforce the law. I do think they will be able to maintain the ability. They, they will maintain the ability to enforce laws. No, but so like if you look at Russia, the law is not enforced. It's like, well, if you're mates with Putin, do what you want. And if you're not mates with Putin, we'll just lock you up. Yeah. So like, that's not enforcing laws. That is laws that fit whatever the hell Putin wants, right, just right. like with Xi Jinping. So it is not a judicial system. So I would argue that fundamentally, it is not functioning. It is just the implementation of one person's autocratic way. Yeah. So that's you still so that, have yeah. laws in Russia, right? If you go into yes, a shop, but the laws aren't followed or enforced. Right. Well. So therefore, there isn't a judicial system. There is the appearance of something, but it is not a justice system. So right. to me, there's no functioning of a democracy. So of an of an open society, once you have no free and fair elections, mm-hmm. it's over. It's over. And so to me, you know, it's just how much of a dick does the person want to be? Like, I don't know, Stalin level dick, you know, or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, cause I, I honestly feel that Putin is less bad than Stalin, yeah. but still awful. Yeah. yeah. My point is you have a free and fair election. You have the democratic nominee maintain power. So they won legitimately, right? But you're going yeah. to have Trump and his base now so discord in the remaining process afterwards. Anyway, we better wrap it up in at, at that bombshell. Might have might try for a part two. We never get round to those, but no. Nah. Right. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Cheers. Right. Cheers, Duncan.